Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Better Watch Horror. I'm your host, Patrick. And I'm Celeste. And as always, we are here to share our love of everything horror. And true crime. Yes, that we are. (laughs) But we are back on our true crime shit today. Yes. We are talking John Wayne Glover, the granny killer from Australia. Mm Mm-hmm. I hate him. Hate him no, so no, much. Not a good man. Not, not That's at all. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah, words can be said, but words will not be said because you know bleeping out words takes a bit of time <laughs> when you're editing. But that's all right. Hopefully, it doesn't slip out. But yeah, when you mentioned that we were going to do this, I was like, great, someone's just prying on old ladies. That's no fun. Well, uh, you were correct. No, I fucking hate this guy. No. <laughs> That's me with every true crime. Yeah. It just, it finds a new way to annoy the shit out of me. Yeah. And I think this one annoys me because, yes, he was convicted of six murders, but there's also like seven or eight unanswered murders that were tied to him. That or had, he could have done. But they had like similarities in the murders that he had done and yeah. was convicted for. Yeah, he just didn't admit to those, so they couldn't convict him of No, those. he wasn't admitting to much. Nope, just the six. Mm. Bitch. Yeah, little bitch. <laughs> but anyway, talking about that, how will this work? We'll talk about the unsolved murders that he was connected to. We'll give you a little backstory on him being from England, coming to Australia, and then back and forth between us, we will go through the six victims that he was convicted for, that yeah. he confessed to. So let's start off with giving the backstory. So, John Wayne Glover was born on the 26th of November, 1932, in Wolverhampton, United Kingdom. I hope I haven't butchered that. (laughs) Uh, He was born and raised in England, but migrated to Melbourne in the 1950s. Before he came to Australia, he was a petty thief and a peeping Tom, having been caught with naked photos of his mother. Mother, if I can speak English, (laughs) which, gross. Very gross. And in 1963, he moved into a boarding house in Turak, Melbourne, where he would be arrested for two assault charges, but was given a five-year good behaviour bond and got away with it. Like, do you reckon him getting away with that would have led to him doing what he did? Because he's like, oh, I can get away with this. Like, let's do it. Like, I think it also reflects on, like, the time period as well of back then in the, like... When this happened, it was, what, 63, and these murders happened in the 80s. Mm. I feel like if it was to happen now, they're more strict and they kind of, I don't know how to describe this, but, like, they are more careful about who they just let out. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, most of the time, still there's still that slap on the wrist Yeah, type shit But that I, I feel hate. like that, like, these crimes from the 60s. Mm-hmm. They would have been like, hmm, we're going to watch this dude because he's a bit suspicious. Yeah. But no. But no. So the unsolved murders that he maybe had committed or was connected to, we have Emmy May Anderson, who was 78 years old, East Melbourne. That was on October 19th, 1961. Irene Kittle, which his roommates in that boarding house noticed he was being a peeping Tom in her house. Yeah. He was looking through the window across... uh, on the street. Yeah. It was like a couple of streets away or something like that. Mm, and it was the night that Irene was killed. Yeah. And also when he was uh, in jail, yep. an investigative journalist 
like, you know, went to ask him questions because she ended up writing a book about him. And he'd given her this picture of a map and on the map was just one X across and it was on Irene Kittle's house. Exactly. So that's why a lot of people think that he 100% killed her. Yeah. Because there was no other connection for that exact location for him other than if he killed her. Yeah, so Irene was 61 and she was murdered in St Kilda, Victoria on March 22nd, 1963. Then we have Elsie Boyce, 63, Paran, Victoria, June 3rd, 1967. Christina Yankos, uh, 63, Albert Park, April 9th, 1968. Florence Broadhurst, who I'm pretty sure was a big designer in Australia at that time. Yeah, that's what they said in the uh, documentary. She was 78. And she was murdered in Paddington, New South Wales on the 16th of October, 1977. We also have Josephine McDonald, 72, in Etalong. I apologise if I've butchered that. In New South Wales, August 29th, 1984. And Wanda Amusden, or Amudson, either either. 83, Umina, probably butchered that as well. New South Wales, November 21st, 1986. And he was also suspected of killing his own mother. Yeah. So she was um, in palliative care. She had cancer. And in 1989, uh, she, uh, she was in hospital. He went to go visit her. And after his visit, left. And really shortly after that, a nurse went in to go check on her, you know, just doing her rounds. And she found her dead. Yep. So everyone's like, oh, 100% he killed his mum. And this was five months before this first convicted The murders murder. that he would go on to be known as the granny killer. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus. It's also theorised that John also had sexual relations with his mother. Or some sort of relationship that was not or mother and child. Yeah. But there's no evidence of that or... John never said anything and obviously he wouldn't because he would be embarrassed about it. But, yeah, a lot of people think that she might have done some things to him as a child, which can kickstart this sort of shit. Yeah. Now we're up to the point where we will talk about the six convicted murders. Now, just a pre-warning, we will be talking about suicide and sexual assault. So if you don't sit well with any of those topics... We just wanted to give you the pre-warning now. Yeah. But we hope you still enjoy the episode and want to listen about this absolute asshole and hate him as much as we do. So, this was, yeah, 30 years after arriving in Australia, he, as you said, started to commit the granny murders five year, uh, five months sorry, after his mother died. Um, it's also stated a lot of his victims were found in the same pose that his mother was in, in the said photos. photos. So, yeah, so they're... If they were wearing skirts or whatever, they would be lifted up to show their bottom half naked. Yeah. Um, and their legs would either be spread or put together to just, like, demean them. Yeah. Disgusting. So it was also found out that he despised his mother and also his mother-in-law, who he thought were both domineering and controlling. Now, for those who don't know what domineering means, like I did <laughs> when I heard the word, it is defined as asserting one's will over another in an arrogant way. Yeah. So it's more, it's a lot common 
in um parent-child sort of relationships like that mm. control. But I think that this just goes to show that he clearly had an issue with women in charge. Yeah. But why grannies? They're easy targets. They're frail. They're old. A lot of the time, a lot of these women, I think, were widows or were single. They didn't have anyone else at home. They were alone. Easy target, sadly. Which it's it's like an unspoken rule of like kids, the elderly, and animals. Don't touch them. Leave yeah. them alone because they are the most vulnerable like in the world. Yeah. So I think that when crimes include them, I think they're a, like a worse reaction for those learning about it. Yeah. So why don't we start off with the first victim? Would yep. you like to start off? I can start off. Yeah, go for it. Um, so the first murder happened on March 1st in 1989. Um, he targeted Gwendolyn Mitchell Hill, an 82-year-old woman, um, as she was out of the shops in Mossman, New South Wales. Um, and also Mossman like supposed to be like a wealthy sort of city, town, suburb. It's like Sydney. looking over the Sydney, Sydney Harbour. So, you know, I, I, you think of people go to retire there, you know. And so, yeah, so she was out at the shops and Glover was at the Mossman RSL and he noticed Gwendolyn walking past and decided that that was, that was his victim. She was alone, old woman, easy target. So he goes out to his car, grabs a hammer, which confirms it was premeditated because no one just drives around with a hammer in their car. Yeah. Unless you're a tradie and that's for work, that's different. So goes out to his car, grabs the hammer and he followed her to her house. And so where she lived, it was like a maybe like an apartment building of some sort. So he followed her into like the foyer and struck her on the back of the head. And as he was taking the stockings or pantyhose off her legs, he heard like the chime of the elevator and it scared him off. So he ran. So he didn't get to finish what he wanted to do. But yeah, and then apparently... Um, sadly, two schoolboys ended up finding her um, and she was still alive, but she died uh, shortly after from her uh, injuries um, after the police and the paramedics got there. That's just, it's just sad. So a little bit just under two months later, or not even, when was the first one? Oh, March yeah. First. Just over two months later on May 9th, 1986, 89, sorry. Lady Winfrieda Ashton, an 84-year-old widow, would be Glover's next victim. Lady Ashton was walking back home from a hairdresser's appointment. Glover followed her home, where he didn't pull out the hammer, but instead some gloves. Lady Ashton was just momentarily away from a busy street when Glover decided to attack her. He grabbed Lady Ashton in a bin alcove where he threw her to the ground and bashed her head into the pavement repeatedly. He then removed the pantyhose and tied it around his hands twice as he strangled her with so much force that it cut through her skin, being stated as overkill as Lady Ashton was already already dead. A man named John Firk, Firky, sorry, who lived in the same apartment, apartment building and I'm pretty sure was her neighbour, yeah. was the first one to see Lady Ashton. Yeah, it's just so sad. Mm. So the third victim... It was November 2nd of 1989. Um, She was an 85-year-old and her name was Margaret Pard. Um, So Margaret was, again, 
just walking down the street and John attacked her from behind with the hammer. And when she fell to the ground, she was struck again on the side of her head. He left the scene without strangling her because it wasn't in like the confines of her home. It was out in like an alleyway, laneway. And I'm pretty sure someone thing. walking towards him or something. Yeah, he left. Or he across. heard a, no- a noise and he got scared. Yeah. So. so he left with a handbag and stole the money that was in it and went back to the RSL and spent it on booze and the pokies. And because he wasn't satisfied that he didn't get to do what he wanted to do, 24 hours later, his next victim would be 81-year-old Olive Cleveland. Now, Glover worked as a pie salesman. We watched the documentary on Channel 7. It's called Granny Killers, The Unsolved Murders. And there's also a episode, episode on Crime Investigators Australia. If you want more information, go for the documentary because the thing that frustrates me with the crime investigators one, when the woman that they are talking to states what company he did work for selling pies, they bleep out the company, but they don't blur her mouth. So you can clearly read what she said. And we're not going to say it, obviously. No. But if you are an Australian and you just see those words like you're reading those words on someone's mouth, you know exactly what company it was. Yeah. Which I thought was so stupid. Like you could have just said a pie company like Mm. the other documentary did. Like you didn't have to specify it. Yeah. They made good pies. Don't drag their names (laughs) through this shit. But anyway, Glover was in Belrose at the Wesley Gardens Retirement Village for work when he noticed Olive sitting by herself on a park bench. Glover went up to her to strike up conversation because – He wasn't leaving any evidence behind. The police were struggling to know who this was. And because Glover was so well, like, disguised and he could fit into any crowd, like... He he just looked normal. Yeah, he could come up to you and just talk about the weather or something. He was just a normal... He looked like a normal bloke, but deep down he was this sadistic fuck. Yeah. And also all of these murders happened, like, during the day. Mm. Like, daytime. Yep. So... After a while, Olive eventually walked away from him and this is when he decided to attack her. Glover would end up slamming her head against a brick wall where he would then remove her pantyhose to strangle her. Just preying on the weak. Yeah. And I think this is where he started to steal a lot more money. I'm pretty sure the first two crimes he wasn't stealing money. Yeah. But now he's becoming that petty thief again. Yeah, because like that, that's one of the other things that they'd said with uh, the first couple was that, you know, their diamond engagement rings were still on. There was money in their purses that he didn't take. So they're like, we know this isn't a mugging gone wrong. Yeah. Like this is someone just killing. Yeah. Anyway, so his next victim um, was Muriel Falconer, a 93-year-old. Um, and that was in uh, the 23rd of November, 1989. Again, took the hammer out of his car as Muriel was walking back from the shops. Um, and just as she, oh, sorry, as, yeah, as she was entering her house, he followed her in and attacked her from behind. And what grinds my gears about Muriel is that she was partially deaf and blind. So she had no chance. No, no way whatsoever to know he was even there. Yeah. Um, so once she'd fallen to the ground, 
and he was starting to remove her stockings to strangle her. She regained consciousness and started to try cry out for help, which then he wanted to keep her quiet um, and hit her over the head with a hammer multiple times until she finally passed out. Um, and when she was finally passed out, he strangled her. And, and with this one as well, apparently he'd walked past the police station because she lived near the police station and then also had to walk past it again to go back to his car. And in that police station was the lady... Like the one of the lead detectives on the case. Mm. And, yeah, and with these, with the previous four murders, yeah, no evidence was left at all. But this one, he was an idiot. And done fucked up. But he deserved it. And yeah. he walked through some blood that was on her carpet and left one half shoe print and one full shoe print. And not only that, there were two eyewitnesses that could pin him. Yeah, because they didn't... This is who you're looking for. Yeah. Not specifically him, but but they... But they were like, hey, this guy was seen around. So they could get a sketch artist on it now. Yeah. So he was pretty much... There was just wait for him. Yeah, we'll figure out who the drawing is of. Yeah. Basically. Um, And yeah, and so... John would go to a lot of retirement villages and nursing homes for his job to sell the pies. And while he was there, he took this as his prime opportunity to Mm. pretend to be a doctor to get into these women's rooms and sexually assault them. Yep. So these victims were Marjorie Mosley, Caroline Chisholm, Effie Carney, Phyllis McNeil and Doris Cox. And when they eventually got the sketch artist and they got the photo of Glover, they started to go around the retirement villages where he would work. And two of them, one he had put his mother-in-law into years prior. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, he comes to visit her all the time. Yeah. And another one his wife worked at. So another lead detective on the case was talking to the secretary didn't even realise it was Glover's wife because Glover had a wife and two kids. Yeah. And so obviously she then realised that, oh, my God, this is my husband. And she wanted to help them, but obviously not too much because you're like, well, it's probably not true. My husband could never do that. Mm. But she also didn't tell him. Yeah, and that, that brings back into the him. fact that he was so well disguised. Yeah. Because you wouldn't take a family man to be the one doing these things, especially in like a safe village. Yeah, exactly. So now we get to the last victim that was on the 19th of March, 1990, 60-year-old John uh, Joan Sinclair. Which is his youngest victim. Yes, and was his final one mm-hmm. because this is the one he would eventually be caught at. So by this time, the police had surveillance on him. They had like a device under his car so they knew where he was going. But Glover knew he was being followed, so he'd like go around blocks twice, three times. He'd even go up one-way streets the wrong way just to make sure he wasn't being followed. And it was also stated that Joan and Glover had a platonic relationship. So when the police caught up to him and he stopped off at her house, they realised that he was just let in. Yeah. So then they were then worried because they'd been waiting for hours. Yeah, so they were there from about 12pm until 6pm when they finally called two other officers to go check on the house so they their cover wasn't blown and they went to knock on the front door to Joan's dogs just barking their heads off with no response. 
So they went around the back and the door was open. And as soon as they walked in, they realized Joan was on the floor dead while Glover was in the bathtub on a concoction of alcohol and pills while also slitting his wrists. Yeah. So he tried to kill himself, but because the concoction made him sick, he just threw it up. So he was still breathing. Yeah. So he was unconscious, but still alive at this point. Yeah. Um, And so he was trialed on the 28th of March in 1990, um, where he was sentenced to life and never come out of prison. And in May of 2005, he collapsed in his cell and was placed on suicide watch because he was telling the police officers, I've had enough, I want to kill myself. And then a few months later, September 10th, 2005, he was found dead in his cell and they confirmed that he'd hung himself and was pronounced dead at 1.25pm. You talked about your gears being grinded beforehand (laughs) and this is what grinds my gears because this guy deserved to rot in prison. Yeah, he deserved to live out the rest of his days thinking about all of the nasty and horrible things that he's done to because all of these women. with these other murders, if he did do, do them, We're he's never just held them, we don't know. There are families of sons, daughters, granddaughters, grandsons, whatever, brothers, sisters that have no idea what has happened to their family member because this guy was just holding it in and then decided, no, nah, I've had enough with the world and took the fucking easy way out, which... That was too nice for him. Yeah. And also, like, what right does he have to be like, I've had enough? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean you've had enough? Don't you think that the families that you've affected had enough of Mm. you? Like, you know what I mean? For being Australia's worst serial killer, you deserved, if we had the death penalty, you deserved, like... All of them. All of them. (laughs) Just a concoction. Maybe just lethal injection while you're in the chair. Like, (laughs) fuck yeah. You deserve that shit. Fair. Not the easy way out. Yeah. And I understand there are a lot of people out there who contemplate it, but they're dealing with real life problems. They're not dealing with, I've just killed fucking nine people. Yeah. So I can't live with that. Yeah. And he just chose to fucking do that. And that pisses me off because that was too nice. Yeah. He got out of it easy. Mm. And days before he did that, uh, he handed a sketch to someone who visited him for the last time. Yeah, I think it was that um investigative journalist again. Yeah, and it pointed out two pro- pine trees in a park with one of them, I'm pretty sure the one on the right, having the number nine visible in the branches and leaves. And it's theorised that that's the number of how many people he killed or how many people he just wasn't convicted for. Yeah, but again... We'll never know. We'll never know because he kept it inside. He was just deadpan the whole time. And I mean, it's he ruined all of these families' lives, but even mm. his own. So he, as we said before, he had a wife and he had two teenage kids at this point, I'm pretty sure. They were teenagers or young teenagers. They weren't little kids. Mm. Um, and because of this, they had to change their identity and uproot their lives and move over to New Zealand. And start a whole new life pretending that this man of their family wasn't this awful person. Mm. I could not imagine. No, they got it worse while he just got off scot-free, honestly. I know he was in prison for a while, but... Doesn't mean anything. He doesn't... Hanging yourself, you... you. 
motherfucker, honestly. Yeah. You, you're just a piece of shit. Well, and that's the thing too. So if he was born, let me just do the quick math. So 2005. Five. And he was born in 1932. He was 73. Mm. Like you're almost there, dude. Let, I'm surprised. Let the universe take you. I'm surprised, but they probably locked him away in a specific spot. But I'm surprised no one tried to kill him while he was in prison. That's probably why he was kept away because. Oh, he would have been dead in five seconds. Of other documentaries I've watched of prisons, they don't take lightly. Like it could be like a mass murderer, but they're like, this guy's worse because he killed grannies. Mm. So I'm going to kill him. He did worse. Give him a good behaviour bond for that one. <laughs> Deserves it. But yeah. Are we done talking about John oh, Wayne yeah. Glover? He does Giving not John Wayne's a bad name. <laughs> John Honestly. Wayne Gacy. <laughs> John Wayne Glover. And if your name's John Wayne, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. You probably already have bad juju from John Wayne Gacy anyway. Could be the nicest person in the world. But just got bad names, Oz. Mm. Anyway, this guy doesn't deserve any more of our time. No, he doesn't deserve anyone's time, honestly. That's it. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. What are we doing next? Boo Boo Redo. Mm-hmm. Ooh, the one I accidentally leaked clues too early for. Yeah, the dum-dum. Mm, but <laughs> everyone's probably forgotten about that. So I'll give you new one. Well, a new one. Well, you tell me off for giving it off, uh, giving it away too easily again. <laughs> so, well, you'll get to. It's our first ever three movie, Boo Boo Redo. And we Be- have to do it like this. Because we learnt that it was three movies. Mm-hmm. So, one original, two remakes. Mm-hmm. And your next clue is the earliest one we are covering, I believe, is either 1932 or 1933. Very early. So if you know what that is, let us know. And you can let us know on our Instagram at Better Watch Horror Pod or... Uh, TikTok, BWH Pod, Twitter, official BWH Pod. I'm trying to get better at doing Twitter, but I just don't understand it. Yeah, no, we don't understand <laughs> it. Uh, if you have any other true crime stories or even any other horror movies that you want us to cover or review, you can let us know at our Gmail, betterwatchhorrorpod at gmail.com. And as always... Our YouTube channel, Better Watch Horror, which thank you for the love we have been getting. That Wolf Creek video just keeps growing and we keep wondering why. <laughs> we're not used to that. We're, like, we're used to get a video getting 80 views and we're like, yeah, that's good. But to have one that's almost at 1.6 thousand, that's, yeah. Um, yeah, that blows our mind. Yeah. So thank you. You make it, you're making this worthwhile doing. Mm. But until next time. You could have chosen any other horror podcast to listen to. Don't roll your eyes at me. This is a new <laughs> sign off. Uh, but you chose to listen to us and we appreciate you. We love you and we thank you and we'll see you for the next one. Bye.